Hello, welcome to Three Moves Ahead. I am your host, Rowan Kaiser, Lord Rowan Kaiser of the Three Moves Ahead domain. Uh, I am here with uh, my three triangular guests to discuss triangle strategy. Square Enix's newish uh, Fire Emblem wannabe, but it might be more of a Final Fantasy Tactics wannabe, but it might be more of an Ogre Tactics wannabe. We'll get into this. Uh, we have Fanbyte and Link Shells, Mike Williams. Hello, hello. Do I get to be uh, utility or morality? I don't want to be the last one, so. Um, I'm going to go I with utility. I'm, yeah, I'm going to give you utility. Uh, we also have the world's number one endless legend super fan and uh, friend that I've been hoping to get on the show for a while, Kendall Erickson. Hello, it's true. That game is uh, the greatest strategy game of all time, and I will fight people accordingly. Uh, it's really <laughs> good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. And the world's number one foremost Jugay Leong super fan who we're going to talk about today, uh, Brian Smalley, a.k.a. Chef Lu Bu. The triangle is the symbol of the Illuminati, and the Illuminati blew up the mine. <laughs> they, this is a game all about how blowing up a mine leads to bad things. This, this is a game about South Africa. <laughs> Is it? Is it not? You know, there's some parallels that can be drawn there. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. All right, uh, Mike. Do you want to give a brief overview of what triangle strategy is, at least in terms of you know where it fits in the genre, and then Brian could give an overview about what it is uh, morally and historically. All right. So, triangle strategy uh, is a isometric ish top-down strategy game in the style of visually it looks like uh final fantasy tactics which a lot of people sort of compare it to uh but play wise it's a little bit different tactics and say other games like disgaea are a little bit more uh freeform they're about planning ahead of time like grinding your guys out and and bringing the right people to the battlefield uh this is actually closer to an older one for me, uh, Shining Force uh, is a, a lot like Shining Force in that every character has a specific thing that they do, and uh, you don't always have a choice of who to bring into a specific battle, depending on how the story goes. And so what this allows the developers to do is do a little bit more balancing. Like, Tactics definitely had some levels that are uh, broken. Final Fantasy Tactics, you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Final Fantasy Tactics had some levels that are broken. Uh, this allows for a little bit more hard balance, so you actually have to worry about that minute-to-minute -minute strategy in the battle itself. Uh, yeah, Shining Force, I think, is a good comp and one of my favorites, but roughly the way that I tend to think about it is that this is... This is a fairly simple and direct tactics. It's not about like doing something outside of the fight in order to make yourself into a make your make your characters into a bunch of superheroes. It's about just uh, the moment to moment decisions that you make, which I actually kind of prefer. 
uh, but uh, is not always a direction that the developers of uh, games in this genre have gone. Brian, do you want to talk about the story? This is a very story-heavy game. Sure, I would love to. Now, I'm going to hit you with a lot of concepts you've never heard of before, so try to stick with me. There's three factions, and they're in a war for control of the continent. And each faction is is unique in its design and its aesthetic and its culture. But ultimately, also, each faction is full of some of the most badass warriors from all around the globe and history. And they want to come and join you in your war to unify the land. I know that okay, sounds... Okay, so, so this is StarCraft. This, you got it, yeah. It's the Terrans and the Protoss versus the Zerg, <laughs> who in this game are uh, replaced with pseudo-Russians who love magenta. Uh, it is a... <laughs> they really love magenta up there. They look quite uh, suave, though. It's a look. It's a, listen, I, don't, I, I fuck with it. It's a beautiful look. Um, I, I will say for, for, for people who don't like a lot of these other games, they're fighting over for important stuff. This fight is largely over. I'm sorry, Brian. It's largely over salt. Excuse me. As <laughs> Rob Zachney is going to jump into this call upset as a motherfucker about this because this is the second time on a podcast where someone has said that it is silly to fight over salt. People were slaughtered for seasonings coming from India. The Dutch East Indian Trading Company killed and enslaved thousands and thousands of people. Seasoning was like the thing to have a war over for hundreds of hundreds of years. And salt does help you preserve meats and other things. So it is salt it is, is, it is integral. Yeah, you can't come into my kitchen and just fuck with salt <laughs> like that. Salt is integral <laughs> for a lot of things. It's important for for sanitization. It's important for for storage. And it is also important for taste because food without salt is food from the from the Midwest mostly uh, <laughs> in my experience. But so, so the story is that you have these three kingdoms. Weird concept. Um, and in the traditional way that tr- uh, strategy games go of this type, these Japanese uh, tactical games, there is a lot of intrigue. There is a lot of betrayal. There is a lot of story-heavy moments about politics. And, it, you know, it's not Star Wars trade uh level episode one politics stuff but it is close in that they are fighting over the things that 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 nations fight over which is like land resources treaties history tribalism uh, and and those things are are big i do think it's interesting that in this game the, the borders of the countries are not are hard stop points for culture They're, the cultures do not blend these are three countries who do not travel to each other's places and hang out. Uh, it is the strictest cultural lines I've seen in a single continent uh, ever in life uh, and almost ever in a video game. It's very interesting in the way that it's like, this is the desert land and these people dress like Middle Eastern people. This is the cold place and these people dress like Siberians. And this is the fucking pseudo-European slash Viking area and they all wear pelts and some of them wear nobles. Anyone wearing noble clothes in this game is a fuckboy. Ignore them. They suck. If they're not wearing pelts, I will say on this, uh, and we'll probably talk about it more, but the character portraits in this game are so... 
They're like, so good. There's, there's, they're very good, but they're also they telegraph so much. It's except like for except no one for looks good, right? Except for Dragon and like one or two other people. I really like, like Sycorus's, uh character art. I, I mean, we can talk about this when we get to the factions, but yeah, that most of the most of the character art is beautifully done, but it's also like that dude's a villain. Look at the way he's, <laughs> look at the way right. he's smiling and looking at me all villainy like. And then even you're, the ones that are like, like yeah, oh yeah, that's a dirty people that want to murder you. And none that's of them a great X arm nice. face, Rowan. Great job with X arm there. <laughs> um, I, I put doing, my uh, I put my finger and thumb on my chin. It looked looked conniving. I'm, oh, I'm one of one, the right? saintly seven. Mm. <laughs> Don't I look insane? You look. You, if someone in their portrait art looks unstable, I promise you they are. Uh, and even even if that character, yeah, Dragon is a great example of like a character that's like, man, I want to make Dragon my friend. And then it's like you see his character art, and like Dragon's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so yeah, I, that's I, kind of the basis of the story is, is there's a, a lot of rebellion, a lot of intrigue, a lot of betrayal, and you've got a noble uh, from Westbrook, which is uh, Westbrook? Glenwood. Glenbrook. Glenwood, not Westbrook. Glenwood. I don't know why I said that. Glenwood uh, noble, Sarah Noah, who is, uh, I, honestly, I like Sarah Noah a lot. He's competent. He's sympathetic. He, you get a lot of smart answers from him if you're not picking the worst answer in the conversations. He is not a naive JRPG hero. He's not a, a stupid kid who got lucky or blessed by magic. He is simply a dude who, through your actions, is able to listen to the people around him, make competent decisions, and and is a good warrior, you know, by virtue of his dad being a great warrior and he was trained. But, like, it doesn't feel like that sort of really frustrating Titus Vaughn, uh, you know, as- assembly of Square Enix heroes who are just kind of like, I don't know, he plays Blitzball, so he's super strong and can hold his breath indefinitely. Also, he's a ghost. <laughs> we don't count X2. Um, yeah, one of the interesting things about this world is that magic exists in it. Like, you could cast spells. It's tactically useful, but uh, you you don't have mad wizards trying to take over the world. This is just kings and popes and dukes vying for control over land and resources and prestige. And uh, it's uh, it's within a, a genre called the fantastorical that I first heard used to describe Game of Thrones, which also came up here. And Brian, you discussed Sarah Noah as... Uh, a useful and competent uh, hero, and yeah, he's he also does make Jon Snow look dynamic and interesting, which uh... that's that's kind of the thing about competence, right? Is a competent right, hero yeah. is is not a exciting hero, right? But Jon Snow invented Cunnilingus. Sarah Noah invents nothing. <laughs> Sarah Noah is just. Sarah Noah just listens and says, I will attempt to do the appropriate action. Let us have a meeting to discuss the appropriate action. But Jon Snow doesn't have magical scales. That's true. Uh, Kendall, do you want to talk about the magical scales? This is this is one of the, the things that sets this apart from other games the most, I think. I feel like if Jon Snow had the magical scales, he would have been much better life choice decisions, potentially. That's- 
That's a possibly much true. better ending to Game of Thrones. Maybe even three different endings of Game of Thrones, depending <laughs> on how you consulted the scales. Uh, no, he could have got the secret fourth ending. Oh, tell you what, though, I might actually be on that route. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, so there, there are these scales, and essentially, uh, as we've alluded to, at pivotal points in the story, you have decisions to make. Of you know, do we go and rescue? Uh, this person or do we not you know do we travel to this land or this other land and some of them seem inconsequential at first and then have big ramifications down the line uh, and others are very overt of like you know you have you know I'll, I'll use one example this is not a major spoiler where we're going to go attack a town do we attack it directly do we be diplomatic about it or do we assassinate the leaders behind enemy lines and try to win that way you know like th- those kinds of options and so how the scales work is based on the choices you're making throughout the game contextually, who you're talking to, you know, the answers you give them, how your Serenoa responds to certain events, how many items you pick up, how many battles you participate in. Like the, the things that strengthen your convictions in this game, which is the mechanic that controls the scales, are wild. Every single thing you can do in the game, including like what items you buy, determines whether or not you get certain convictions, which is crazy to me. And apparently you can't so you can't see this on your first pl- playthrough but i looked into it and apparently you can on yes new yes. game plus see yes. what's actually like you can see the counts for each of these different um it's what, what's the last one utility uh, morality freedom. and freedom loyalty i think or freedom yeah freedom um and so it's everything you do feeds into those <laughs> So, so to take it that no, no one in this game has ever fucked Brian. This is this uh, is the number one problem. Totally untrue. The number one problem with this game is that everyone is completely chaste. Not even like interesting asexual. Just like there's there's two all... characters. There's two characters that have fucked. One is Arador, and the other is the bar uh, tender. Oh and yes, they are the Asadora. Yeah. Who I, lo- I love, Hasadora. Uh, she's probably one of my favorite characters in the game. But those two are the only characters with any sort of romantic inkling in this. Even Frederica seems like her and fuck. It's <laughs> Frederica and Serenoa seem like they would sleep foot to head in bed. <laughs> like they don't even sleep next <laughs> to each other. <laughs> They're sleeping Charlie in the Chocolate Factory style because they don't want to get too horny looking at each other. <laughs> Yeah, they they definitely do have. So uh, Frederica is the uh, not loving the f- female protagonist, and and her and Sarah Noah begin the game as an arranged marriage, and they play it as an arranged marriage through the entire thing because there are bigger things to worry about. Yes, <laughs> it, it is weird how that's never addressed. <laughs> Love at first sight, bro. And like it's, that's that's where it's at. <laughs> I mean, she wants to cook him dinner. There's a whole subplot about her trying to learn yeah. how to cook dinner, and that is admirable. Okay, okay now, now when you say a whole subplot, like, it's true that there are occasional little cutscenes, but, like, compared to a Persona game, or what was it, Xenosaga, that had this whole cooking subplot, like, these are, like, 30-second snippets of vague attempts at having a personality, as opposed to this character's entire personality is that they're a woman who's bad at cooking and that's hilarious. So, yeah. you know, there, there's not quite a happy balance here. Yeah, the four main characters, uh, Serenoa, Frederica, 
Prince Roland, who is uh, the youngest son of the king of the country that you are a duke within, uh, and Benedict, your your Jugaliog character, the Cogming of the story, who's incredibly boring and incredibly right about everything, uh, the advisor. Thank you. Yes. I will. I will say uh, of the past, and we'll talk about that. I went with Benedict. Uh, I, I, I was nowhere near uh, one of the other better choices. Uh, so of the ones I had, Benedict. Uh, yes. Benedict is kill them all and let God sort out the rest. Uh, Benedict. So to, to take a. Take a half step back before we get back to the scales of conviction, uh, because it's so connected to the character personalities. Um, the triangle strategy. Uh, so when this game was announced, I thought that like this case, it was announced right after like Fire Emblem Three Houses blew up. And Fire Emblem Three Houses had this like triangle system of like swords beat spears and spears beat axes and axes beat swords. The weapon triangle. Yes. And so I thought that this game was like, let's take that and like actually make it useful and interesting. Because in Fire Emblem, it's not. It's just like there. I don't don't understand it. I don't care. There's another game Uh, that also uses a weapon triangle. You might have heard of it. It's called Dynasty Warriors. Uh, They brought it starting with the seventh game. And then they refined I, it in the eighth. And in the ninth game, I, something I, happened. I don't remember. I do not. I do not acknowledge any Dynasty Warriors after five. That, that's a pretty niche and esoteric title, right? I don't think a lot of people have heard that series before. Um, so, I thought the triangle strategy was going to actually relate to the strategy of this game, and it doesn't. You, you, there's nothing like that in this. The triangles, I think, represent the three countries and the three systems of morality, but the three systems of morality you never actually see visualized as a triangle. It just says in a screen at one point, oh yeah, there are these three things, freedom, morality, and utility that your decisions take. And eventually you realize that, oh, Roland is freedom, Frederica is morality, and Benedict is utility. I get it now. But like for... 80% of the game that's not visualized, that's not actually, that doesn't actually manifest in anything unless you read a guide. Uh, so now, I will say yeah, that these, I, these, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I, I am probably in the minority in that I like that the system is obfuscated. Um, I'd like to know that my choices like change things in a, in a way that there are three options yeah. ultimately. But I don't want to see values. I don't want to play Mass Effect again and see number go up, number go down right. whenever I make a choice. Because for me, that influences my choices too often. I want to make the choice that I find in the story the most interesting first. And then when I go back and play it in New Game Plus, I'll choose different routes based on how maybe how contradictory they are to my normal play style. But I don't want to see right. the values. I just want to enjoy the idea that my decisions do ultimately have some effect which they do but you're right most of that is in the uh back third of the game so i i agree with you up to the point that i think that this game doesn't actually say like deliberately these things exist and they are obfuscated but these are the things that influence like what you can actually succeed at with the scales of conviction and kindle you're you're your second big choice, you had this problem where 
the choice you wanted to make was basically locked away because you didn't know that you had chosen different paths. I, I had been too snide in my remarks and too uh, cynical about the future of humanity for the entire start of the game. And then when it was like, hey, do you want to go, uh, I'll just say, save a person you care about? My character was like, no, I'd never do that. I'd never convince anyone that I want to do that. So <laughs> I, I was able to get around it, but I had to choose to go look for how to get around it versus well, just accepting my fate. Yeah, like I was talking with someone. Uh, there's a an option at some point to smuggle stuff. And right. apparently you that can one's... do the opposite. You can be too good and you cannot you would never like, smuggle. <laughs> you, you can never smuggle so you never get that option yeah that so that's the one that happened to me uh so i was basically going with a, a morality route the whole playthrough i didn't realize it but i was like you know we need to save the individuals and thus save the kingdom that way um and then eventually you get the um you get this opportunity that someone says hey you want to smuggle some shit for me illegally and uh i was like and the, and the choices that are presented to you are, yes, I would like to smuggle some things. I don't trust you, but uh, this is the only way we'll gather evidence on you. Uh, or, no, we have to go report this immediately to the people who will never, ever believe you because of entrenched power. And all my, all my characters were like, yes, we have to do the moral thing and go report it immediately. And I was like, no, no, we need to get evidence. evidence. And they're like, nope. We're gonna go report it. So, I ha I went through. I went through, and I like. I got. They attempted to assassinate me when I found when they found out that uh, I was doing the thing that they didn't want to do. So I had a little battle, and then I like went to the city that I was supposed to report these guys in, and um, I was like, "All right, it's time to gather evidence." Or all the characters like, "It's time to gather evidence," and like, "There's no evidence to be gathered." I went to the trial, and they were like, "What the fuck are you doing? You have zero evidence for any of this." But fortunately, like, well, I'm not sure about fortunately. There are breaks in place so that you can't totally fuck up the game and just have it come to a screeching halt because you've been an idiot. Um, there are some parts in the game, though, and this might not have occurred in y'all's games that you can fuck up and the game is just like game over. Uh, yeah. Yep. It is. There is a hard game over. Oh, yeah. At one point in the game if you fuck what, up. What, what did you do to get that? Do you want to explain, Brian? I could not find an item. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, the Roselle item? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I wonder how many of those are because I deserved it. Like, <laughs> I deserved it, but I got like someone swooped in at the end to say, oh, but we also hate this guy, so you can duel him, and whoever wins is uh, uh, wins. And so oh. that. Yeah, I didn't have that. I, I literally had to scour the town endlessly until I found every item and talked to every person twice. And then they were like, okay, you're cool. You'll make it through this next part. You won't die. Because I game over it like three times. Oh, no, I'm talking about the smuggling. The smuggling oh, evidence. No, yeah, the smuggling. yeah. yeah uh, and and, and uh, Rowan sort of mentioned, so uh, basically uh, uh, anytime you make a, a, a somewhat meaningful decision, it uh, says uh, it's, it's the pop-up, the telltale, so-and-so will remember this. It's like it strengthens his convictions. And this 
one determines who surrounds you and what they say, but they can override you as, as Rowan was talking there. Like, so depending on who you have in your squad, like, like basically at these touch points, everyone gets together and presents their side and you can choose something, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the choice that's going to happen. Right. Serenow is a facilitator and not a decision maker. He chairs the meetings and he tries to maybe influence the way that he wants it to go, but he doesn't actually vote. You have seven main characters in your party, your, your key retainers who all like are the people who make the votes and you can try to convince them, but they might say, nah, I'm going to do something completely different. Uh, I think, I think it's important to, to discuss the fact that you have the conversation mechanics, which is the triangle, three, three conversation options if you do the work to find all the information. And the third one is always unlocked by doing the extra footwork and the extra homework. But just because you unlock an extra conversation option does not mean it is the best conversation option. And a right. lot of people, apparently, I didn't make this mistake because I had a clear choice uh, that I was going like I wasn't just always picking that one so so I didn't run into that problem but a lot of people apparently who picked the game up were just picking the unlocked option and then confused as to why people weren't being convinced of their arguments so it's like the, yeah we could murder everybody in the town and that would help save us Frederica's like no I don't think that would help I don't want to murder everybody in the town but Rowan there's traps didn't you hear about yeah. <laughs> we've oh, I've burned that fucking thing down I said, listen, y'all, we got bigger problems than your house right now because you don't need a house if we're all dead. I used one trap to take out Avlora and then save the rest, but it was like, oh, you burned down the whole city. And I was like, no, I didn't. I used the least essential trap. And and that that is another thing. Like, uh, you speak about Mass Effect and stuff. Like, uh, a lot of those games, the choices, like, you know, uh, kill the small smiling child or kill the, the mean wizened grimer worm tongue dude. Uh, and these are more like, all right, how do you, how do you think you can steer this war? So that the choices tend to, I mean, there are some of those choices, but the choices tend to be a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more. How do you want to fight this war specifically? Yeah. And this is, like- Go ahead. It feels like the, the the choices also carry with you more in triangle strategy than in a Mass Effect. If I go up the elevator in Mass Effect and I kick a guy out the window of a building and he falls to his death, ten minutes later I don't give a fuck about that guy and no one ever brings <laughs> it up again. Like if I punch a reporter in Mass Effect, it does not matter. Like it has no material effect on anything. I just beat the shit out of her because she was made me mad, and that's a thing you can do in Mass Effect. But when you set those houses on fire in the town, they're going to make you go back to the town over and over again. And you're going to see <laughs> weeping children and old people who are just like, oh, yeah, we're alive. Too bad all of our food is gone because you set the town on fire. Let's not forget that. And then you jump cut to to your nefarious friends in Hyzant. And they're like, you know what? I know they burned half the town down. I bet they need food. We should offer them this as a as a way to control them and then cut to two chapters later it's like fuck now we owe high so these these choices 
they they do seem more nuanced and innocuous at the moment because we are so conditioned we are all kind of conditioned by the modern gaming space to just assume that this shit is just a game and we just do it and then it's fucking gone but triangle strategy is gone no that's you made that choice that is part of the game now that is your story you are the you are sarah noah the man who burned down half his village I'd say the only character who falls into that is uh, the older brother whose name, it starts with an F. I do not remember. Franny. 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 Because they never bring his ass up again. Well, (laughs) I mean, what's to bring up? It's pretty, his shit is pretty final. He doesn't get like a mysterious death like his buddy. The rule is if you can see the body and then the blood pours out of it, they're dead. If you don't see a body, they might not be dead. <laughs> Rest in peace to Lord Simon. What? <laughs> yeah, that was a weird one. Um, but no, the, these choices are like, as Brian said, they're like, these are competent adult choices that attempt to have these like long-term subtle nuanced effects. Like, like Kindle ran into this issue where he he wasn't being moral enough, so his Saranoa couldn't be nice to his best friend. And, like, this wasn't a thing that, like, Kindle was deliberately trying to do, right? No. I, I mean, everyone's like, oh, these salt mines are going to be great. Or iron mines, rather. Everything's going to be fine. I'm like, I don't, I don't know about this. It's going to be fine. And it, it turns out being uh, a bit cynical and other people being like, wow, you're being a little cynical right now kind of uh, nipped me in the butt until I went and fought a bunch of battles uh, in a made-up theater of the mind in a bar, and apparently that makes me a moral person. Then I was able to save my best friend. <laughs> well, it's not just fighting the battles, it's fighting them like and using just, a bunch of healing items or whatever. Well, well, it, it's buffing people, uh, fighting enemies of your level, and a couple other wild things. Interacting with minecarts. Yes, or interacting with minecarts uh, raises your conviction level. I don't know if you know that. It does that. Climbing a ladder makes you a very moral person. Yeah, this game is is real weird like that. That's a metaphor for climbing Uh, the social ladder. You know, I don't mind it, though, honestly. It's kind of, like, refreshing every now and then just be like, I sold items, and apparently that makes me a more, like, set-in-my-ways... I'm going to defend my debate arguments at school tomorrow kind of thing. I don't know why it does that, but I like it. It's just funny. But this does offer the two different options to play. Like, I do kind of believe that Kindle did it a little wrong, but the game also kind of maybe didn't give him the exact thing. But like the idea that, yeah, yeah. If you want to go use a guide and figure out how to do these, make these choices in the exact way you want them, you can do that. Or you could just let it ride like like me and Brian did it, where it was just like, yeah, I, I've been trying to, to be the moral person. And if that means I get stuck to, with, my, with my fucking nerds demanding that I immediately go report every crime I see, uh, then I'm going to have to live with these fucking nerds. Um, oh, no, I was a smuggler. I smuggled spe- the shit out that salt. <laughs> spe- speaking of that... Uh, like, this game starts really, really boringly. I have to say this. This is, you know, kind of the crux of my review I did on IGN. But, like, 
the demo is the first three chapters apparently and the first three chapters are just like nothing but people being excruciatingly polite to one another and listing off other characters names and like there's nothing there that makes me say oh this game's super exciting and we're gonna get real real murdery in a minute uh no it's just like oh Hello, I am your enraged bride. Oh, I didn't know that. What a funny misunderstanding. Let us now be completely polite and joined at the hip and do everything together and uh, never actually imply that anybody even has to take a piss ever in this game. Um, I think that this go game... Go ahead, Brian. I think that the, the early story stuff, I think that the integration of the father-daughter bandits, if they had been more prevalent throughout the beginning of the game like yes regularly i think that would have done a lot to help break up the uh stuffiness of everyone of all the characters and also that's that's the, the perfect word yeah and to also provide exposition for the player as as the player stand in as people who are not nobles and do not understand why everyone is acting like assholes and also, like, if you'd gotten Trish at your party from the start, then you would have had Trish at your party from the start, and she rules. I, I uh, wish we I, had I not ever gotten player. Trish. You got Travis? Uh, n- nope. I have a man with a shield and a hawk. <laughs> He's the oh, I got, I got him. Yeah, I got the bloody shield. I've got uh, the dawn spear. Uh, have you... So. Did you do the... Did you do the choice where you have to choose between like going back home, staying in the capital or uh, yeah. going to the Roselle village. Which one I did you take home? Okay. Uh, did you get a character after that? Yeah. I got the bloody shield after that. And the Don's. Okay. Player. No, he's a, well, he's we, a, we... he's a morality character like Trish. You, if you go to the Roselle village, you just get Trish directly into your party. We, we sure, did I get uh, a certain uh, dancing gal to join us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got Milo. Oh, That's yeah. right. Oh, Milo you get her permanently. We get yeah, Milo is, yeah. Yeah, Milo just disappeared for me after that choice, which oh, is no, Milo is, as like. Uh, I should say that this is a great time to bring up the fact that, like, as as Mike touched on earlier, there are not uh, there are no multi class characters in this game. Every single unit is incredibly specific and unique. They all serve an interesting function, and playing with different groups of people is just really fun in my opinion to do battles with like a different setup uh and like figure out the way that jens can have a trap that pushes someone into something yeah jens is the best team jens is everyone in here i think uh no, everybody loves jens. i actually yeah. i actually oh liked, my god i mean i wanted to really like jens and he was very useful in certain battles where i really wanted a fucking ladder but like i this trap does like 15 damage why not put someone in my party who does 50 damage for the memes because i play so i use the i use the 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 juggler girl uh whose name escapes me what's that the 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 jester girl scarlatina or piccoletta 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 and Jens, and because her decoy is like a global taunt, you can set people up for traps by setting them behind the decoy, um, which can actually really serve to isolate a single unit when you're on a flat terrain. 
by knocking them further back into your party, the enemies will then focus the decoy and they're very easy to kill. So there is there is some strategy in the game if you're willing to to put in the effort to learning certain less damaging characters, but maybe more maybe more um, utility characters to to use the term yeah. in the game. Uh, but I do yeah. find that like having these these I thought that all the characters I was gonna have was the characters that I got by the first half by like chapter ten. Yeah. So when I started getting more characters, I was like, what the fuck am I gonna do with more people? And, and and the game does not give you more slots like Fire Emblem tends to. Like, oh, you can have like twelve people now. It's like, no, you still got ten, buddy. Like, you gotta start picking who picking and choosing who you want to bring. Yeah. It it definitely it definitely rewards you for trying out a lot of different characters though, and then doing the mind battles. I do the, the those battles once each time a new one shows up uh, as they come up. That's just kind of like I didn't have the issues that Kendall had because I always do that sort of thing. It's like, oh, it's a training battle. I'll go ahead and do that move on to the next one that's disgaea has rotted that part of my brain so i just automatically <laughs> do those things i'm just like yeah i probably need to do that i probably need to buy all the items i probably need to buy all the upgrades as soon as i, I, can. I have been doing that i feel you there i've been buying every single upgrade like iron stick etc i can because like what if i need those later yeah but i, so, I just want so to say yeah, I love been, the characters we've so, been talking about the plot um, but it also ties back into the battles in unique ways and that like the characters do tend to match their personalities. Like Benedict, the advisor is super strong at buffing your characters. Like he, he does jack shit in terms of damage, but he will make your characters like, you know, fucking brick walls or uh, able to jump up. Yeah. If you that need they to get somewhere, jump. Benedict yeah. is your boy. Uh, uh, Benedict, Anna and Jens were like my my hard locks. Anna's way too good to not like, use. Yeah, a- Anna's uh, is the rogue. She can stealth and backstab, and once you really get her going, and you have Benedict and other people helping, she can do absurd, br- almost almost Final Fantasy Tactics level things. This is a <laughs> this is a I... pro tip for anyone listening that hasn't bought Triangle Strategy yet. If you play Triangle Strategy. You need to make sure that you have Anna set up when you get to the mines because she can disarm bombs and then stealth herself in the same turn. And you will want that feature. I swear to God. If if there is any map that involves a specific objective behind enemy lines or like one dude you got to kill, I just buff Anna. I'm like, cool, this map's in the bag. I'm going to farm experience (laughs) with other units. She's going to go solo that boss. Also, and, destroy and Anna is your spy character in the story. Like right. this, all this all aligns. She's she's the one who goes off and like just zaps around the map and is like, oh, by the way, Heisenberg's going to do this and this and this. Is like, okay, thank you, Anna. She's also the only anime character in the game when she does her little uh, ninja. Yeah, shoot. yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I I tended to actually have an archer based party uh, where uh, I would use Huet to uh, blind everyone who came anywhere near me and then like have Archibald and eventually Trish just pound the fuck out of them and just burn any, everybody down. That was, that was my main strategy. Anna was good sometimes, but I didn't like, I didn't like center her in the way that I centered Archibald, especially. The archers require Uh, height usually. So that's, that's always the, although if you have Benedict and your archers together, then it's usually not a problem, but like Anna is always useful, I found. Whereas the archers, depending on the map, like some of the maps are just flat, and then yeah. I'm just like, 
But to your point, I, I tended to find they were still useful anyway because Archibald has that thing that ignores armor. Oh yeah, um, Archibald is Archibald is is the archer. Like if I then, have to take one, did you it's did did you guys find that? Did y'all find that you would bring in the shaman to cast Tempest? To was there a noticeable increase in Archibald's damage when you actually cast the Tempest spell, or did you never use Tempest or right? I, I usually only used her for the rainstorms. Yeah. I know that combo uh, existed, but I hadn't tried it yet, Brian. So I'm not sure how much damage. It yeah, I, I just did not. I did not get her as 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 like set up as the character that I loved in the game as much as I did uh, Frederica and Corentin, the Ice Mage, mm-hmm. um, who you could if you went to if you went to the Snow Kingdom at the start, you didn't get Corentin. Um, you got another Archer guy, but I don't. I I didn't do that, so I don't know what he's like. Did any of y'all go to? Did any of y'all go to uh, Ace Frost at the beginning? I did not. Why would you do that? They're evil. So none of us got the the thief <laughs> that you get the note about. <laughs> I see. I saw him in in one in a uh, Ricardo Contreras's playthrough uh, over at Waypoint, uh, and he's like a dashing rogue guy with a crossbow, and he does a lot of acrobatic stuff, and he has traps. And he seems like a really interesting character, so I'm excited to get around to a new game plus and and pick him up. But like. Uh, definitely seems like compared to another mage, it definitely feels like an interesting choice because mages in the game are very, very useful, but they also have um, like uh, spikes in the, the flow of combat in which they are functioning and useful because casting good spells uses all of your resources and you have to wait a turn or two turns or you need to burn someone else's abilities to uh, get those resources back. Yeah. So in the, in the combat in this, uh, they use a very simple system where every character has energy and using their, their special skills costs energy. They get one energy back every turn. There is at least one character who can help continue raising the amount of energy. There's also like a couple little, uh, uh, I forget exactly what they're called. The quietus. The qu- yeah. uh, yes, it's Quietus. I got stuff to say there's, about Quietus. That, yeah, there's there's a weird system where you also could just like throw throw specific, unique, one time per battle uh, skills. So occasionally you can rebuff your character's energy, but like you know, you have a character who has four energy and casting their basic magic spell costs two. They only get one back. Then. They're going to have to wait two turns to use that unless you're you're trying to do something to keep them uh, constantly having that flow of magic, which is creates and that's not just magic, it's any skill. So Sarah Noah has like a hawk dive that he can use to attack enemies that are two squares away. Um, and so if you're trying to use that too often, then you eventually can't use that too often, which like it's it's simple and effective. Like it made me have to make interesting decisions. It put every character kind of on the same, uh, your skills are useful in certain ways, but you also have to be useful in just like walking and hitting a dude. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's, that's, I don't know, the balance on this game is incredible. Uh, that's, that's something that, uh, that's my main consideration about the strength. I really like the morality stuff. Uh, I like the idea that you can go and manipulate it. Uh, 
or that you can just let it ride. But the the combat balance, in my opinion, is the number one reason to play this game. Yeah, that's one of the reasons that like and I was talking about balance, like in a in a disguise or a Final Fantasy Tactics, since you can multi-class and change up characters, the developer is never quite sure what kind of character you have. So the battles aren't necessarily balanced per se they're more puzzles that you got to work out however you want to whereas in this they're like okay well at this point you know in chapter 10 they should have these characters maybe there's a little wiggle room in who you can get but we know for the most part exactly what the player's capabilities are at least in playthrough one uh, once you get new game plus, apparently it just that that all goes out the window and it becomes nonsense. But um, at least in your first playthrough, the balance is really like dialed in because they know exactly what you have uh, and what you can really unlock because you need resources to unlock new weapon abilities and other stuff, and they can just withhold those to prevent you from 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 doing the thing in like you know tactics where i would just grind the one map so that ramza and crew could just like utterly stomp out anybody in in the early game and you can't do that here because if there's only a a high enough level if you really want to you can go grind those side missions to get like the basic resources and money over and over and over but that's only like you have to intentionally choose to do that to your point and there are specific items that are like, you know, the key upgrade item of like, you know, you need Oracalcum to get your sword to go from two to three that you'll never get until a certain point in the story. And I totally agree with you that by locking that out, it has a nice power curve. I didn't feel like any of the maps were, were like, you know, oh, this is like a four. And all of a sudden now I'm playing like an eight. Like this got super yeah. hard just out of nowhere. I felt like it was a nice difficulty spike. Yeah, it was like most... Most battles were a six, and then it would go to an eight for certain boss fights, is is how I tended to feel. And that was like, this is exactly what I want from a tactics game. Um, I did manage to fuck myself over a little bit with the power curves, because Roland was probably my most successful character in the early game. He, you know, he's fast, he does a lot of damage, uh he had a decent amount of armor and so i would upgrade everybody else with the medals of valor that i got and then by the mid game roland is my only character who is not upgraded to the next class i can't go get a medal of valor and my next fight is protect roland Roland must survive yes (laughs) protect roland And uh, so that that was a pretty interesting thing. But yeah, uh, what, once you sort of figure out that that's maybe not the right way to, to do your upgrades, uh, it gets there, a lot. There are very, very few broken characters. Uh, probably the closest is going to be maybe Quahog, whatever, the Time Mage. Time Mage is probably my most like, we're just going to, we're going to utterly destroy these people with some of the nonsense that we can do. I, I also never got the time mage. Oh, okay. um, so, uh, yeah. And the other thing is that almost all the side characters you get, you get like that one character late in the game, Milo or Trish, or I don't know who who's, if you stay in the capital, who it is. Uh, that's really interesting. I wonder who that could possibly be. Um, 
you have your seven main characters and you might get one or two extra ones, but every other character you get in the game is just someone who shows up at your camp based on your morality or your utility or your freedom scores. So like as someone who was playing a mostly morality playthrough, I ended up getting like nothing but support characters. Uh, And like, I had like no basic infantry characters. I had no archers. I had a couple mages. And then I had like three people who were like, oh, if you use items, they'll be stronger. And I'm like, items cost money. Why do you want me to do this? <laughs> yeah, the time the mages, is incredibly. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, the game is incredibly well balanced as long as you don't use the female character who throws items. And, <laughs> and she is terrible. And her skills are bad, and there's just other characters you should use. She's the only character yeah, that I found was like, this sucks. My 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 tendency in a tactics game is to try to make sure that every character is like on the same balance curve, right? Yeah. So if I have a character who's level 23 and a level character is level 20, I'm always picking the level 20 character in the next fight until they level up. And with her, I was like, I am sick of leveling her up. She is never going to be useful. She's just off the team. Yeah. Uh, there's also a merchant you can get whose main skill is that he he's also does some, some moderately interesting support things, but his main skill is that when he picks up items on the map, he also gets extra money. And money's kind of hard to come by in this game. So I, I like only used him for the mind palettes battles to get a little extra cash that way so he was he was sort of on the edge of being useless but yeah that that if you didn't invest in him to his credit his uh charm is actually an incredibly powerful tool when you're in those boss fights because if you charm an enemy unit the enemy boss will kill that unit oh and it's like a great way it's not a high percent it's usually 25 percent but actually landing a charm on an enemy unit near like an Avlora or like, a, you know, whoever you're up against uh, will cause that enemy boss character to just kill that unit outright. And I did that several times to get rid of stronger units. Um, I did it a bunch in the I chose the Benedict option for returning home at a pivotal point later in the game. And during a fight where, where my dad was under attack, I was able to charm one of the assassins and they're very powerful units and it just goes off and starts murdering people and the whole team the enemy team just like completely ignores me to kill this guy because he's he's destroying their archers so there's a there's a lot of that it's a it's a high risk high reward play style with him which is funny because that's in his little thing like it's like high damage but low chance of occurring like yeah, every every time you gain a character, also it it tells you like, hey, this is what the characters. Point I love those. I is. love those load screens. They're Other so point. nice. That's such a nice little touch to have that like reminder. It's like, oh yeah, you know what? That character would be good here. Yeah, and so like every time I got a new character, well, not every time, but a significant amount of the time that I would get a new character, I would be like, oh. This character is super powerful. This is the missing piece. I'm just going to destroy enemies. And then I would go to the next battle. And it would be designed so like, 
oh yeah, now that you have Archibald, here these characters are more powerful in this way, and he's no longer going to do that. I thought Hasabara was going to just wreck everything. Those first couple battles I had Hasabara in were like amazing. She's a mounted uh, a mounted healer who's mostly just a supplemental damage, but also uh, can do some healing, and healing is, is pretty scarce in this game. Um, and I thought, oh wow, she kills people and heals. I'm I'm invincible now. And like two battles later, I was like, I guess I could use her. I don't know. Yeah, the the so the time mage is a utility character probably, but the time mage can speed up actions, uh, revert status back one turn, and uh, move allies around within a specific area so it, it just became a point of like like and there's no counter to that like to those <laughs> like like it's you, just, you a, just broken the action economy in your favor essentially right um and so that that like that that's probably the only character um otherwise yeah rowan is right in that most characters will get at least uh, again because they know exactly who you're going to get even in the the case of multiple uh, option characters, they they at least know one of three people that you have, so they can build in counters. I th- yeah, I think that I think that in the game, as it when you get closer to the end of the game, they definitely drop some characters on you that are like depending on your choices. It's like this is the character that we have seen that's going to work the best with your play style based on your choices. If you're picking Benedict all the time. We're going to throw you Milo because she is just like double Anna. And now you have two Annas and a Benedict who is probably maxed out and you're going to fucking run shit all over these people. And your characters are going to ignore all height of terrain. <laughs> and so and you're just going to give them the increased movement distance on the Hawk ability of Benedict. And so your characters, and then you do the quietest for the extra two movements for everyone. So I could move Anna and Milo from the beginning of the mine to the very back of the mine in one turn. <laughs> so while we're on that point, though, actually, I wanted to get your opinion. How do you guys feel about the capstone abilities that you can get? Like if you heavily invest in a character, you go to the blacksmith and they have like, the, here's the move that makes them busted. Like Benedict is like, your units are invincible now. And I'm just like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> like... Benedict makes everybody invincible. It's incredible. Eridor's ability is probably my favorite, though, because Eridor has a 100% taunt of every unit near him for one turn. And that is a phenomenal skill. Like, that's such a good skill when you think about it in the way that these It's a 100% taunt, and he's invincible. And he's invincible. And and he then punches people for punching him because he has the counterattack ability as well. Yeah. So it, think, you're getting like four for one. It's amazing. I think Eridor's is literally the only one I ever used. And maybe I used Frederica's once, but it was like these cost so much energy and I'm so used to playing in like the the like do a little bit more damage each turn kind of way. So I, I didn't actually use it that much. But it's worth talking about the upgrades because the upgrades are like everything else in this game. They're like very quiet, but very effective. It's like if you're... If you see, oh, Eridor is supposed to be my tank, but he just keeps getting wrecked by magic, you go to the upgrade screen and look, there's a magic defense upgrade. And now Eridor gets wrecked slightly less by magic and becomes 
so much more useful. Um, there's also like things that take uh, the energy of your some of your likely most favorite skills and make it one, which essentially means you can use them infinitely. I did that with Huet's Blinding Arrow, mm -hmm. uh, which, as I mentioned, was like my default save me from getting destroyed by the masses of enemies. Uh, and like, yeah, I just consistently found that there was usually an upgrade for almost every situation where I was starting to have problems. I think I think that it's really cool in the way that the upgrade system is simple and easy to understand, uh, but also still allows the player to choose the way that they want to upgrade, especially in regards to spellcasters, where they are given a option of supercharging one of two spells, and you can actually just go back and forth and back and forth. If you supercharge uh, the ice yeah. AoE attack and you don't feel like it's doing more, you can change that for free to frosting fetters or whatever, or infernal chains or whatever the spell is that the other characters have. Yeah, well, and you can actually like choose to, to make the other spells more effective or make the other spells have better range. Um, and it gives the player a lot that, of freedom to expression. That's especially useful, at least potentially, for the weather-controlling shaman character who, like, if you want to have that Tempest that hurts other archers, but makes one of your archers, Archibald, actually get stronger, like, you can go and switch to that. Or if you want to increase the damage in the rain, I think it's increased lightning damage during windstorms, yeah. which, uh, that's, or during rainstorms, which that's the main reason you have lightning, is to, like, zap people across all of the, uh, all of the map. Um, and, like, so you can like sort of affect the level design with that particular character, which is uh, very interesting to do. Uh, I want to talk about the level design in this game because it's not just like the characters and the difficulty of the enemies they're facing, but each level in this game actually feels like really distinct battles. And uh, how you arrange your characters at the start of them versus what the different choices that you have they're not like huge choices but they feel like just big enough like uh brian i'm pretty sure you did the assassination mission when you went to attack the capital i did uh where you where you fight the twins on the boat yep fuck them kids yeah fuck <laughs> those assholes uh so and this one you have i think Two, two slots of eight characters each on, on opposite sides of the map that are supposed to sort of converge in the middle, but then all the enemies spawn in the middle. Uh, that that was the first And so I fight. was like, I think you have nine characters. So you could divide like four and five, you could have six and three, you could have eight and one. And I was like, just kept trying to figure out the best possible way. And I think eventually what I did was I had put eight on one side and I think Yen's on the other side to just have traps to troll people. Though the, the time I used Yen's the best uh, to just have traps to troll people until um, the other characters could kind of meet up with him and uh, make things okay. Uh and like that was like that was probably the battle I replayed the most. I would say maybe like four or five times because it's just fucking brutal unless you're trying to get something, unless you figured out some sort of trick to it. And the tricks are pretty difficult because the enemies like spawn above you, they spawn between you, 
the, uh, you have two bosses. Um, everyone is just casting things to make the or dropping oil and torching everything. There's fire everywhere. It's really cool to look at. Uh, yeah, and like that was that was a battle that was really good for that. And now it sounds like Brian, you and Kendall are in the mine fight or the minecart battle, which is all just little little bits of characters, like two or three crossing across the map on a minecart, having a little <laughs> fight there, then two or three more are all the way on the other side having their little fight. And it's not this knockdown drag him out thing. It's the it's a get your advantage, smash it home, and move on to the next thing. While also diffusing bombs. Well, also to... diffusing bombs that <laughs> that takes up a turn to waste. No, but see that that was my favorite part of that map, though, is the fact that a giant map. I'm sorry, I get right to you, Brian. I actually said real quick. I like that some of the maps encourage you to get out of playing in a turtle way. You know, like like right. the effect of like I'll just Overwatch every turn and wait for the alien to come to me. Like no, some of the maps are like you need to get to that point to do some MacGuffin thing, and if you don't do that, you lose. And I just really like that. It forces you out of your defensive shell to play much more aggressively with certain characters. Or or the ones that do allow turtling, like the enemies are strong enough and massed enough that like, yeah, you're still going to have a fight. Like this is not a case of uh, you could just pick them off one at a time. Uh, there's uh, on the morality path at the very end of the game, uh, one of the late game battles is it's basically just your 10 characters against their 16 characters rushing at each other like a fucking rugby field. There's there's no real flanking opportunities. There's no hiding. It's just everyone go and punch each other right now. I wanted to say that I, I feel like that, that boat level, uh, if you choose to uh, go on the secret spy mission, is probably the first battle in the game that I felt like really rivaled some of the more difficult Final Fantasy Tactics battles. It felt like I was trying to siege Wygraf's uh, hold again. And Fuck the amount Wygraf. of... Fuck Wygraf. Wygraf's a man of the people. Uh, but like, it felt like it felt like an uphill battle, like a truly uphill battle. And like to your point... It is very difficult because the game does not tell you as soon as you decide on where your units are, they're going to drop a shit ton of other enemies right between y'all. Um, and I was I was lucky enough to have um, Eridor Sometimes and Corentin. Sometimes it does. I was, I was lucky enough to have Corentin and use Ice Wall to actually just physically block them from the stairs. So I just kept reapplying ice wall and the enemies would stop and have to attack the wall and weren't able to get through as quickly. Um, and then using units to block the chains that the enemies come down on or the boards or whatever the fuck they are, you know, in that old school tactical RPG way of like, this is a choke point, this is a choke point, and this is a choke point, and I need my biggest people here. And then I've got uh, Gila and uh, Hasabara doing all they can to keep people alive. Uh, shout out to, to Gila or Gila, the greatest healer in video game history. Uh, yes. That lady just pumps out health. I, uh, I just love that she has an innate ability of like, oh, the more hurt you are, the more I heal. Like, why doesn't every healer have this? This is fantastic. Yeah. That's the yeah, best like, ability I, a every, healer can ask for. Every, every plot battle, as opposed to the mind battles, I basically... Gilo is mandatory. Like I, 
I, I could take or leave any other character in the game. Uh, there were enough options that I could pick up. Like if I don't have Eridor, then I could have the bloody shield guy. If I, or if I don't, don't have Eridor, I could use Serenoa combined with Benedict and have a tank that way. Uh, but Gila was no, nah, she's just gotta be in every, every squad. Yeah. She's a, she's a, she's a God. Um, I did want to mention the quietest system we talked on about briefly. The quietest system yeah. exists. I have used it maybe three times ever. Okay, so you're not the one who forgets to use it. I never remember. I never is the, remember. It is. It feels. It feels like a feature that was put into the game at the very end of the development cycle, at the last minute, and they forgot to put tutorials and instructions and reminders in at all for this thing because it's incredibly that- powerful. But I fucking simply do not remember to use it ever. It does the game does not prompt me when it's a good time to use the quietest system. The game does not tell me the quietest system matters to the story because it doesn't. It simply exists as a separate mechanic uh, that is helpful, but like because it's not tied into the rest of the game, it simply never enters my mind. I am doing other things. I am playing a tactical RPG. I'm not thinking about applying. Orion's global buffs from fucking, you know, Orion, uh, the son of TG Sid. I'm not trying to put on the astrologer buffs. I feel extremely vindicated right now, but I'm not the only one who forgot. Yeah. To so all the so time. I will say this immediately after the level that you guys are on is when I started using the quietest system all the time. Uh, the, after you make the big choice and you get into the end game, um, which is, I believe, the next chapter after the minecart fight. I'm just like, okay, I desperately need this character to go twice. Gila needs to heal two different people or uh, someone, this guy needs to finish off the boss before he just wrecks every healer I have. Uh, I was using it like immediately all the time in the battles after. It sounds like you're, you've been having a slightly easier time than me, uh, but... Yeah, I I did eventually get from the point where you're at to the point of actually acknowledging and using it regularly. I did have one quick question on the system. There's there's an ability where you can stop an enemy unit from having a turn. Does that yep. work on boss characters? It works I on believe everybody. so, yes. Yeah. It works okay. on everybody. So, so so that's what I'm saying. <laughs> this is what I was going to say. So to explain the quieter system to those who, who may be listening to this and did not understand it, basically uh, you... Uh, at certain points, you gain quietus points, and you can use these to cast one-time use uh, global, global spells, basically. Uh, yeah, global spells, status effects, um, kind of like uh, tactics, a uh, judgments. You know, just like oh, and one of them, uh, as mentioned, there is missed opportunity, which uh, literally stops a single enemy from making a turn. Period. Uh, there's one that guarantees critical hits. That's not all that useful. Revive a fallen ally, which costs too many points. But uh, the the, the two revive really a fallen useful... ally. Every time I used, it, I think maybe I pulled it off one time because the character is revived. I only I only ever got the one that uh, revives them with twenty five percent health. They're right. revived at the back of the line, and the enemy always finds them and hits them before I can heal them. Yeah, so the, all the useful ones cost two points. Those are the the. There's, the, there's some that the, cost three. Yeah, there there are, there are some that cost more. Uh, uh, 
the full rejuvenate is is four points, but all of the really useful ones I found were uh, give TP to an ally, uh, stop an enemy from casting a turn, and allow um, uh, ally to move again. Like so, it's just like oh, this is. I I thought they were super useful. Like I think for the most I think part, using I the ones the only ones I've used are stop stop an enemy because I used it against Avlora because that was the only <laughs> way I could kill her. Wish I had done that, man. She's wild. And then the one that I've used a couple times is the movement one, where everyone in your party gets to move two additional spaces, because that yeah. actually allows you significant strategic uh, movement options, especially when you're trying to move uphill. Yeah, I, I definitely used that one uh, on like subspecific battles. Maybe the minecart battle, I think. Uh, but yeah, just to just to make sure that like I could get that space that I needed. Yeah, there is one that I never use, but I I feel like could be useful in certain situations, and that is uh, I forget what it's called, but you switch party member. Like you can be like, all right, I don't need Milo right now. I, I will switch in gens or something like that. I. I never actually used that one, but I just realized the use case is not necessarily like this character is dead and I want a living character or whatever. The use case is this character has blown all their energy. Let's get right. a new character with energy in. Oh, that's an interesting uh, idea. Use it on mail yeah, or swap them out after casting a rain call. Right. Oh, or different yeah. phases of a fight where you're like, okay, um, now we've moved into the mostly melee side. I don't need to worry about ranged. Let's sub in a, a stronger melee character for this. Um, yeah, that's my uh, thought. I never actually used it, so. Um, but it's it's like, another system that I think sort of exists as a balancer that if you actually need that cushion to make sure that you don't fully die here, uh, then you have that cushion. And I found the battles in this game were like, they're really interesting because it's like every, every point, every, it felt like every percentage point I did slightly better than the last time I played it or like the default average. Like if I got like, if I managed to get Roland healed in a certain way on the second turn, then Roland would be present on the fifth turn. And like the entire battle would just tilt a teensy tiny amount that was sufficient to tilt the whole thing, which is again, a really interesting way to play these tactics games where it's like in an XCOM or like even a final fantasy tactics, I feel like the goal is Isolated enemy, burn them the fuck down, move on. In this game, it's keep your characters alive just a little bit longer so that your other characters will still stay alive even longer than that, and you can finish off the bad guy at the end. It's a, it's all these narrow margins, and I strongly prefer that. I want I want every tactics game to be Battletech. Uh Battletech 2 win paradox. Um Kendall, you, you're very interested in saying something here. Yeah, so there, there's one thing I caught up on that point there, where you were talking about how you know you kind of incrementally win. Did you notice the game literally changes the music score when you've reached a certain point that you're probably going to now achieve victory? Or that when you're going to die. It's like when you have 
uh, five characters or less, I think the the music turns really, really like, oh, it, this is the end, man. You're you're about to get fucked. I, I love just it. found that was a, a great detail. Like, oh, I'm gonna freaking win. Like, this is awesome. Like, it, it's an awesome battle score. It makes you feel good. Of like, I totally turned the tables on this. This is great. Just small yeah. features like that in this game, I think. Are as, as a whole, the presentation is top notch. Like it, it looks fantastic. Uh, from the like battle scenes to the character art, uh, the music is great. Uh, I did not like the English voice acting, and so I switched to Japanese, and that is how I have played uh, since the beginning. Uh, ah, maybe I should try great. that. I wanted to. I want to yeah, finish the, the game. Are I started just super in English. Boring. I started in English, so I want to finish it in English, just because I feel like I'm attached to some of those voices now. And then I'll switch to Japanese on the second playthrough. It's it's yeah. very disparate the way that some of the voice acting is very uh, good, and some of the voice acting is Saranella, and <laughs> that feels, <laughs> that feels unfortunate, but that's the reality. I because I think, think Benedict's Sarah voice acting is what's that. I don't even know that Saranoa has a bad voice actor. I think he just has incredibly bad lines. And they've asked they've asked all the voice actors to use American accents, like generic American accents. These are characters that you're like expecting. All right, we're getting a British accent here. No, every single one is American. Um, so that's that's a weird thing to start with. But also just Saranoa is just a nice, polite boy. That's literally yeah. all he is. He's potentially too competent for his own good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that Benedict's voice actor is, is pretty strong and it sounds familiar, but I didn't look up who the actors were. Um, I felt like there, it's just kind of, it's up and down. Some of the acting is good, some of the acting is bad. Uh, but I, it might just be a matter of the script is not great for English in the way that the, Z, the in the way that you don't play uh, Xenoblade Chronicles in English unless you really, really love the Welsh accent. Uh, because otherwise it will it will melt your brain. I do, so that's useful to know. Oh, have you uh, never yeah, heard yeah. the Xenoblade Chronicles yeah, two? Xenoblade Chronicles acting? is very, very Welsh and British. It's a lot. It's Welsh. It's, it's it is it is the reason that it sounds sing songy is because they all they, it is an entirely Welsh acted voice cast. And it, that Sweet. is so difficult for Americans to get with um, and understand. <laughs> and it doesn't bother me that much, but I switched it to Japanese because when the main character is just repeating the same attack over and over and over again in a Welsh accent. Uh, yeah. He's just the Star scared. Ocean problem. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I, I, Star Ocean I still have. Yeah, I still have a sphere of might from Cliff from Star Ocean oh. until the end of time, like oh. playing through my head because. It's we'll never I think, so many times. I think Star Ocean might be the game that like just made me say all all JRPGs after Final Fantasy X are crap. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with you on these things being annoying. Star um, Ocean Two rules. I'm just gonna say that Star Ocean Four yeah, sure, is whatever. a travesty. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's a difference between them all. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so you know this this all ties in. The characters all have these really, really normal American accents. You turn on the television; these are probably the exact. They sound like newscasters. Come to think of it, 
They they all have the newscaster accent except for a handful. Eridor is a, a little bit a little bit boisterous. Uh, Trish and Travis, the bandits, uh, actually have like slightly southern accents and some personality, which is as as you mentioned at, uh, at the start of the game, it's an incredible fr- breath of fresh air. But like even Anna, the spy lady, sounds like she could be reading me the weather. Well, I think she's intentionally yeah. supposed to make it sound like she like she's she's with Benedict. She's supposed to read you the encyclopedia, and you're like, "Yes, ma'am." And then she goes and stabs someone in the back because she's cool. So, I think, yeah, I think it's I think it's much more noticeable when you get to Hyzant and everyone talks exactly like everyone in, in yes. the, <laughs> everyone is identical in their voices, and it's like you know what something seems real weird about this. And then they go to Ace yeah. Frost, and everyone's like. Like, hey, welcome to Ace Frost. We don't have our own unique language either. We all talk with the regional Midwest accent here. My name's <laughs> Cyprus. I'm a cop. How you doing? <laughs> it is true. It is Joe true. from American Dad looking ass Cyprus. <laughs> you do look at the characters and expect some sort of like, like, all Culture? right, we're going to do yeah, some sort of accent. See. Brian, it's like you said earlier, uh, their cultures are very distinct and never move borders, and there's no blend whatsoever except language. They all speak yeah. the same language. The what, same what they could use in that is a little bit of seasoning, maybe some sort of salt <laughs> in their in their in their speech to to add a little taste and flavor to the way that they talk to each other. The, the when the Saintly Seven talk, I am literally like, oh, fuck off, like fuck all the way off. <laughs> uh the the characters who applied salt, Thallus and Erica, are like the only characters I can remember from the start of the game. It's like, ooh, you salty. <laughs> uh, everyone else is just, hi, I'm incredibly boring. Here the is my twins. here's my friend who is slightly less boring and whose ambitions will destroy us all. Hello, I'm the friend whose ambitions will destroy us all. Have a wonderful day. Did the the Dawn Spear is pretty foppish, but you you only get him in certain playthroughs at the beginning and the end. But the Dawn Spear has a little flair, a little a little uh, panache. Are you just? Does he or does he just look does he like just he look should it? based on? Yeah, I think, I think it's based on his character art and the fact that he's a really cool hat. I'm not. Gonna is lie. it literally yeah. like? Does he not? And I just imagined it in my head because of how he looks. I mean, he, I don't know. I don't know if he's got like a, a distinct. I think he's act. got, he's got relative flair in his voice acting, but I think that just means that he actually emphasizes words occasionally. There, there, there is one quick tangent I want to have the Don Spear because Brian, I want to pick your your mind on this. So when you, full stop, you get the Don Spear at some point uh, based on certain players. No one cares. Yeah, yeah. no one yeah. cares. <laughs> it's incredible. He joins, and everyone's like, yeah, and Roland doesn't have a thing. Like, no one has a so, thing. Everyone's just like, Some bosses do. For, for context, this is a beloved mentor who, like, trains the, the, the not-crown prince and is, like, basically his foster dad. And then he, he's gone for a long time, and he maybe comes back. And when he comes back, there's no reaction. Nothing. No one some, cares. Nothing. Some of the bosses do. Like, you get some unique dialogue in the boss fights, um, sure, sure, sure. I, I but don't like, remember which that, one, but the fact that it, like, one of the bosses Roland's... is like, "Oh, finally, I get to fuck up the Dawn Spear. I've been waiting for this all my life." So, so that's good. But to me, this is the one critique I had of the game was like that was a big moment of cognitive dissonance for me. I was like, "Why does no one care that Maxwell the Dawn it, Spear 
back. The level, there is like a silo between the main seven characters or the main eight characters, if you include Sarah Noah, and all of the side characters that I find a little bit frustrating. What would be really neat to me is that like if the seven characters that you actually went and voted on things were based on how much you used them in yes. combat. Yeah, if that if that could change. That would be need if a, that was a little dynamic, bit more. that would be or even that just really as you're swapping sweet. characters at certain story points, if that character could vote alongside, like maybe one right. person is gone for some reason, and then you know this other person, like like Milo, just as an example, comes in and votes the one chapter you have her. Like that would be cool. I think that'd be refreshing to break that up a bit. Yeah, there is because a all lot of those characters except Eridor are boring as shit. There, there are story beats that are only that only exist in the notes and information tabs of the menus. Uh, like you can learn about the fact that Archibald is the mentor of one of the other characters in your entourage. It never mm-hmm. tells you that. It never brings it up. It never is said between two characters. Uh, no, or, there's, no, it's, there's it's, actually one of the side stories does mention it. Yeah, it, okay. it, it is pretty okay. mentioned in a minute yet, and when you talk to them in the encampment. But to your point, it's never like a big thing. It's like you gotta go digging for this kind of thing. Yeah, it, it, this could use a little bit more of the modern Fire Emblem social like moments yeah. where two characters at the camp or something are like, hey bro, remember when we did such and such? Cool. Yeah. And like, has- talks about how Benedict was a fucking like uh, a conniving asshole as a youth, and you never get to see that, which sucks because you, you, you do. Want to they see do. The- they do have one flashback. To one that. flashback. And you, the- and you know what happens in the flashback? This great, these these like two older responsible dudes, the two like uh, the pillars of responsibility in the the Wolfort domain are shown as the raging youth who uh, do all the kinds of crazy shit. And the thing that they do is they race to be who they race to see who can be more responsible faster. There's it's like the a message thing, that they right? have to deliver. Yeah, one of them wants to ride the bird or take the bird or have the bird take the message, and the other one ride, wants to ride a horse. And so their their carefree youth is which one can deliver a message to their boss the fastest. There is one other that actually is both of them, uh, but it doesn't it basically just shows that like, oh, Eridor is really stupid and Benedict is also really stupid, but pretends to be more responsible about it. And that's basically it. <laughs> I love that Eridor's solution is put a bird on it. So to go back a second to the differences in cultures, there is another major aspect of the game that kind of weirded me out a little bit. And that's that um, there are fantasy Jews in this game. They're called the Roselle. They have a history of religious oppression where basically everyone in the gay world is like, oh, you're one of them? Okay, I need to I need to keep my distance. They basically like are enslaved in general in one part of the map, and then a few of them have escaped to your domain. And they all have pink hair. And that's just such a weird physical trait to give to these people that you put in this like pseudo-historical setting and given this historical oppression. And like, I don't know, I'm not Jewish. If I were and I were playing this game, I would probably be very, very, very weirded out by how these people are 
specifically put in this position. I have a theory as to how they came about the hair thing. And this is going to be the dumbest answer that you've heard. And yet you will immediately realize that I'm probably correct. And I think that the hair is supposed to be the shade of pink that you get with Himalayan pink rock salt. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm totally with you. Totally. Which with is you. the stupidest thing I've ever heard in a fantasy setting, but I'm fairly certain that that is what they were going for with that. These are the salt people. They have Himalayan pink rock salt hair, and that is their identifying feature. Also, they are a Jew analog that lives in an apartheid slavery state. Yeah, that 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 was the other thing. I was like, I was like, a little bit of Jewish, but I I I was mostly thinking apartheid. I was like, okay, so that's that's what this is. It's um, somewhere between South Africa and the mining and the the Jewish state, and like, it's it's a messy analog, um, but like, and, I mean. It's yeah. there. The and mind, that, that the is one of the, like, will you leave these people um, to oh, suffer is, is one, is one it, of the choices. A there's a whole let my people go. Like, if this game had musicals, there would literally be a scene where he would be like, let my people go. Like, like I will say, like, in, in, a, in a follow-up playthrough, I will probably be less kind to Roland. Because, oh uh, yeah, that he's a fucking bitch at the end. Because of of those major choices, his is the one that is like, nah, fuck those people, and it's like, wait, what? Like, whoa, 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 what, what's up, bro? Yeah, I, mean, we... <laughs> I, mean, I I took the Roselle choice when I made the the big choice at the end, and Roland will go along with you on that, and eventually says, "Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, this is this is way better. We gotta we gotta fuck up, Isaiah. These these assholes are slavers, and that's bad." Um, which is is really interesting, but like it kind of makes sense with his character arc in that he just constantly gets depressed about having to do anything. So obviously, he wants to take the choice that's do the least amount possible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's, it's, it's real weird. Um, the thing I will say about the Roselle is that this is not simply background suffering. Uh, you are consistently given the choice to try to make things better for them. And that's the, that's the thing that I think redeems it. This isn't just a case of like, Oh yeah, we heard about the history of the Jewish people or whoever, um, so yeah, the thing that I think makes the Roselle a lot more tolerable than, I mean, there are a lot of games that like want to use a pseudo medieval setting as an excuse to like be racist and sexist and say that that's historical. And, uh, this is mostly from European developers, uh, the sort of, I took all the wrong lessons from playing the Witcher types, uh, even the Witcher sort of does it. Or I took all the wrong lessons from watching Game of Thrones. Um, in this game, you do have the option to make things better for the Roselle or even commit to making everything better, leading your people to freedom and uh, stopping the oppression. And I feel like uh, that ends up being a really important thing for triangle strategy in that uh, you have the agency. You see a thing in the game and the game is like, you want to do something about this thing? 
here are your options. Uh, and that, that makes it a lot better. Uh, it's still weird. Um, I would definitely say that uh, if you are from a minority who has been historically religious, uh, religiously oppressed, you should have a warning that this game might piss you off or might just make you groan, especially uh, if you care about people who have had that kind of oppression, then this game might make you groan. Well, but it does have one scene in particular that's just really bad. When you go to the source, which is yeah. for those that don't know, this is where like these oppressed people are. They're basically mining and you know like raking in salt from seawater, and like the people are just like, well, I grew up here and this is all I've known, so I'm just okay with this. And it's like someone just was whipped to death like five feet away from you twenty seconds ago, and you've had no <laughs> emotional response to that whatsoever. And I'm a little weirded out by that for you. So I, I don't know. That scene lost me hardcore. I, I was not into that scene. And af after that, when people were like, well, what are our multiple options? I'm like, there is no multiple options here. Like, did, did we all not just witness that together? What just happened? So that, that's the one part of, uh, to your point yeah. about, you know, uh, how these people are treated that just completely lost me. It was inhuman. And I, don't, I think the NPCs didn't react in a way that made any sense to me. Yeah, in a, in a game that is, like, very much about kind of these nuanced adult reactions, like, that one should was extremely heavy-handed, and the reactions of the characters being, let's look at this with nuance, was uh, not really what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, any further or closing thoughts here? I feel like we've covered most of the most of the points of interest that I found with Triangle Strategy. Uh, Brian, I did want to talk to you about Benedict because I do think he is this archetype of the advisor that possibly comes from the the Legend of Kugming. Uh, it possibly goes beyond that, but it's it's a character that like I saw in Suikoden several times. I said it's a character that I've seen in all kinds of Three Kingdoms stuff, and like the hyper-competent advisor who's right about everything. I don't know. It it definitely, for me, feels a lot more like a, a water margin type character, and this game is a, is a water margin type game more than it is a romance. What, what does that mean? So the water margin is one of the other great novels of Chinese literature. It sits mm -hmm. alongside uh, Journey to the West and Romance of the Three Kingdoms as one of their pillars of, of literature, and it is the basis for the Suikoden. Okay, so like every game in which right. you are uh, creating an army to cause an uprising against unjust nobles and, and royalty and things like that, that is basically a, a rip on the water margin, which was written a long fucking time ago. And it's great. Um, and I recommend everyone read it uh, because then you'll just go, wait, they're just doing a water margin. Ocean's Eleven, that's a water <laughs> margin. Fucking, you know, all that stuff is just the same same story that they've just been retelling for a thousand years. Um, and so I feel like this is much more in that vein than it is in the Romance of the Three Kingdoms where you, you don't get as much... Um, the, the enemy factions in this game are never presenting highly competent uh, threats in, like a, in the way that you would get in a Romance of the Three Kingdoms type game. Um, you normally... The, the threat comes from the... the fact that they are in a position of power they hold that power and they use it to oppress um 
and and you are not that you know you 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 have power obviously you're a noble but like your character is always in an uphill position always pushing against and i think benedict exists simply to level the playing field of saying that the enemies only rely on the fact that they're already in power they're already in charge they already have armies they do everything that they do they do in the most in the in the simplest way that they can think of doing it because they have the ability to do that and we have to do things a different way. And even though he is very utilitarian and sometimes fucking cruel, um, I, I think that he is, you know, he is right all the goddamn time as far as like the most efficient choice. He 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 exists in a place of power where normally he would be a villainous strategist. You know, he would explain that like this is the way we do this because it's easy and efficient and we lose the least amount, even if it's cruel. In this particular game he is on your side and he is saying that in order to defeat the oppressors these are the steps that we need to take and we need to be willing to sacrifice pawns to make queens and kings and uh and so he he is filling that role uh, but he's not like a great battlefield strategist he's simply a great political mind and and sort of like understanding the way that nobility works and the way that armies work um, and I, I think that's an interesting character. It is a, it, it's, it feels more like uh, Suma Yi to me than, than Juge Leong because he's not like relying on any sort of mysticism. He's not esoteric in any definable way. He is literally just like, I gambled a lot as a kid. You get that from, you get that from Eridor that he's just like, he spent most of his youth being risky and gambling and making bad decisions. And now he is in his, I'm going to say 50s, and he simply, he plays by the dice. He says, the highest probability for success is this, we should do this. And so that is his role. Um, And and I think that it's, I mean, like I said, I think Benedict is one of the, weirdly, I think he's one of the better characters in the game for the story stuff, but it is, but, but his role is very, like, forward and front and center. And in games like Suikoden, you normally will have, a lot more characters who are more uh, exciting, who do all the fun stuff. And then the Silverberg in, you know, whatever Silverberg you recruited in Sweden comes along and goes, yeah, you guys are goofy. That guy's a chef who fights ninjas, but real shit, we need to fucking win this war. Uh, so stop fucking around. Let's fight a war. And Benedict yeah. doesn't have the, that cast to play against him. And so he just kind of sits there and says things and you go, ah, fuck, Benedict's right. And I think that goes back to where it's like Trish should have been added to the cast earlier and been a character who is allowed to uh, operate within certain cutscenes uh, as a as a player stand-in because I think that if the game is missing anything, it's, it's humor. It has virtually yeah. zero humor. And I think that that is the one thing that the story actually needs is a break from all the fucking, like, stuffiness. And and in both the the trick with Benedict is he's one of the few main characters who lived through the last war, which uh, one of the things about this game is the last war wasn't that far back. Thirty years, yeah. yeah. It's just our characters are are most of the main cast is young enough to have not been in it, but still old enough to have seen some of the like. Like if they weren't a part of the war, they've at least seen some of the results of it. He's a World War One veteran, and he's going into World War Two, going, 
this sucks. <laughs> this shit sucks. <laughs> Everything is going well, to suck. Your point, to your point, though, I think the reason why Benedict works is he's right. Like you even said, like, oh man, damn it, Benedict's right. Like, I hate the fact that he's right in certain situations because what he often says is heartless and cruel. But to your point, it's like, but this is like the best chance of us surviving, and my job is to make it so you survive. So I think he's but, a good foil in that sense. But he's not necessarily right because this is a story-based strategy game that does not have significant personal losses. Um sure. like like in Fire Emblem, if you make a choice that gets you a harder battle, you could permanently lose a character. Or it's really difficult not to lose a permanent or lose a character permanently in that. In this, every choice you make will get to a battle that you can win. Except yep. uh, for missing the salt crystal, apparently. Maybe but there are some regard- other ones. But like I will I, you know, almost always pick the non-Benedict options because I was going down the morality path and they led me to battles I could win. Um, so that's that's a difficult that's a difficult uh, tightrope to walk here because like conceptually, you know, if I'm if I'm taking the bird's eye view of the Game of Thrones going on here and I'm trying to be Rob Stark, we all know what happens to Rob Stark. And Benedict is out here trying to be Cersei Lannister, and you know she almost pulled it off. Uh, this is well, I think, maybe maybe he's more Littlefinger, but like uh, that. But the game is set up not to get go down these paths, and it it did sort of make me miss Dynasty Tactics, uh, or maybe Dynasty, Dynasty Tactics too. Every, yeah, everything makes me miss that. But, uh, like, I remember trying to play as Lu Bu in the Dynasty Tactics that let you play as Lu Bu, and every path you take leads to Lu Bu getting killed. Yep. And I'm not sure if there was one that was even close to a success, but, like, the idea that there could be an endpoint where, yeah, you didn't listen to Benedict enough, and now your castle just got burned down with you in it. Sorry about that. Like, I... That... That would be a difficult thing to put in the game. I understand why it's not in the game, but also I do feel like maybe there should have been some dead ends for being a fucking overly moral idiot. I wanted to say that I I, I would bet dollars to sense that in some regard, if you always go with what Benedict says, the game is actually easier. Like materially, I bet that the game is probably easier um, because he's going to make the choices that result in the most... Uh, advantageous battles for the character. Um, And I bet that there is some degree of like, if you're always choosing Benedict, you will probably have an easier time ultimately in your fights. Whereas when you choose the empathetic, empathetic choices, you end up in a lot more fights because you have to do a lot more work to save people's lives. And so you end up warring more often. If you choose the um, moral one, you end up that smuggling plotline, I had to fight a duel to get out of it. And that was a really interesting combat. I don't think it was overly difficult, but it seemed like it was going to be initially, which is kind of the perfect combat. Uh, But um, yeah, I I got the impression that had I successfully gotten the evidence, uh, then I would have not had to fight that whole extra battle. Um, So... 
So yeah, I, I think I think, I think it's the difference be between right. like and I will actually I'm actually likely to find out if when I replay this because I had to play it on a review switch because Nintendo is weird about new games uh, and you have to have a newer switch to use their DRM for reviewers or whatever, which means that when I install it on my regular switch, unless there are cloud saves, I'm not going to have new game plus as an option. So I will I will be going through regular Benedict mode, probably as the opposite of uh, the decisions I made here. I just want to say real quick that like I think that I think that when we talk about a right decision in this game and to this game's credit the right decision is simply the decision that you want to make based off the choices you've made. You can make the morally correct decision, you can make the strategically correct decision and they're not always going to line up. I think Benedict will always make the strategically correct decision that leads to the easier fight, but that doesn't mean it's the right decision for the player. And I think that is actually where the game kind of shines. It's why I only have one save file. I do not scum save because I only want to play the story that I've created for myself. And I think that is strongly to the game's credit because I want to see where this ends with the way that I have played the game. Yeah, and there there is apparently a golden ending, but it does, at least from what I vaguely looked into it, is not a thing that you're just going to get. I, I think I might actually be on that route, believe it or not. But <laughs> gotta, it wasn't gotta, through intent, so... You gotta play I, through the I, game four times, and then you do the hacking minigame where you hack into Roland's God. brain. Uh, <laughs> the, the impression that I've sort of gotten is that you have to, like, max out all three stats, and then maybe you'll have that option. I, but... So, my understanding of what it is, because I haven't looked it up, but I, I think I'm on it, is in my playthrough, I've made multiple different choices like i've done moral choices i've done freedom choices and i've done utilitarian choices so i think it is like a healthy mix of all three yeah, yeah. you and i might be on the same exact path honestly because <laughs> we both i think we might be yeah i, I wish one you all really... had, had managed to get to the big decision <laughs> but uh uh some people weren't responsible where mike was so wow uh, okay well mike, i remember mike I is remember... the utility character here mike is our benedict Rowan asking me on Twitter if I accidentally genocided a village. (laughs) So you mentioned closing arguments and whatnot. And to to this conversation's point, though, I think to this game's credit, I want to play this game more than one time because it's made it very clear that like if I were to pursue the alternate paths, it's not going to be like in Fire Emblem where it's like A or B and they both route back to C. That kind of happens, but it seems like the choices have a much bigger impact on the overall plot and narrative, and I want to see what those other choices lead to. Yeah, it feels like A or B will lead to C, but it's like C, A, or C, B. Right, yeah. You know, notable differences. It seems seems very clever in, like, in any choice-based game, I feel like... Uh, and you can read my Mass Effect review over on Waypoint if you want to to see, you know, a fuller example of this. But uh, what's important about choices is that they're fed back to you as having been important. They, they, it's not this choice leads to a dramatically different ending, like every single choice takes you down an entirely different narrative path. It's that the characters and the game world will just say, yeah, I know you did that. It was that was an important thing that you did, even if it's all kind of the same thing. But it just says that. Uh, 
yeah, the getting the getting the getting the feedback and the feedback is really good in this game uh, is the most important aspect of a choice system. Yeah. And at least it's not uh, Fire Emblem Fates. Was that the one where the the last, like the real meaty was DLC? Yeah. Uh, yes. Revelations, which was yep. a whole, quote unquote, a whole new game, quote unquote. Yeah. 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 And, so. and, you know, with the eShop going down in a year, that's not going to be accessible anymore legally. So that's that's a really fun thing for people who want to play all the Fire's Emblem again. Did they ever sell a physical copy of that? That's a tangent I, I think, would explain right now, I guess. But. Yeah, I, I think eventually oh, Revelations? they did. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because uh, that's what I had. It was like a special edition that yes, cost you could a lot only of money. Get it. it was not like a... You could just go down and pick up that cart. Well, well, thank God that Nintendo is making it so that their old games are easily accessible to play, I suppose. Yeah. I say heavily well, sarcastically. <laughs> thank God for torrents. Um, Torrential Rain uh, from Azana. We would never recommend anything illegal be done on 3MA, except that you should all strike when you need to if your boss sucks. But yeah, um, uh, buy this. It's uh, of, of the, this is, is this the Octopath team? Yes. yes, one of the Octopath producers yeah. led it, and it has that same kind of graphical feel, but I don't think it's the exact same team. I, I think this is a better shot at what it's trying to be than Octopath was. Uh, and I liked Octopath, but I think this is a a better like, oh, okay, yeah, definitely please, uh, like you're doing with Octopath, build on this. This is a, a good start. Uh, I probably would have just wanted... Uh, uh, the trees to be filled out just a tiny bit more. Um, like maybe more of the, yeah. the dual like uh, options available in the trees where you can choose between two different types and a little bit more social meat on the bone. Otherwise, I think it's a great game. Yeah, the, the pixel art is fantastic. We haven't really talked about this because this is just like you look at a screenshot or you especially look at a video where you see it moving. And it's like, whoa, these people, these people did this shit right. I think it's a, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful my, game. My final thoughts are basically that this is this is one of the most well-balanced tactics games I've ever played. The story has really interesting components and really boring components, but it's more interesting than boring. But the actual combat system, level design, balance, characters, uh, these things all add up to something that was uh, one of the most most compelling and least frustrating uh in fact, I would say it wouldn't have been frustrating except that I was trying to get a review done because like, when I lost a battle, it felt like I was learning or gaining experience or whatever. So uh, yeah, this is this is one of the, the better experiences that I've ever had, especially with a Japanese tactics game, um, which are usually like deliberately, entertainingly imbalanced, whereas this one is like a really, really tight experience. My only closing thoughts are that I hope that they don't abandon this as like a format or, or a, a fantasy world. Cause I think that the, you know, there are some problems with the story, but I think that it's an interesting world. I think it's got a lot of cool characters that I want to see in other stuff, but like hopefully they just don't abandon the format because the format's good and the game is good. And I hope people pick it up and also bring back shining force. Cause that game fucking rules all the shining force games yeah, are good. Real shining Tactics- force. Not Tactics this shining in the darkness. Star Ocean 2 is good. <laughs> please but, like, please make good Star Oceans again. Get, 
let's actually get a really good Steam port of the Shining Force threes. Yes, please, and yeah. I can play them. You, that would you be, can get that Shining would be Force a lot. 1 in the Sega Master Collection, I think. Yeah, I was Shining about to Force say. Shining Force 1 is... Uh, the, I think it also has Shining Force 2, which is a classic. Shining Force 1 is a bit clumsy. Uh, but Shining Force 3 is... Shining Force 3 is a really interesting collection of games that uh, has been disturbingly inaccessible, and I would love to actually see in an easy format to play. Um. Yeah, so that's our that's our JRPG tactics uh, um, corner. Uh, how do we feel about tactics, Ogre? Uh, let tactics us cling Joker, together. Good. If you can get yeah. let us cling together, uh, that's another game that they should just release again on Switch. Hello, it should be on every platform. Yeah. Honestly, it's so good. Oh, there we go. There's a... yes, Brian. I, I think that the tactics Ogre people. And the Saga Frontier people are all working on Final Fantasy 16. So praying to the deities uh, that that is a good game. It's got Yoshi like, P. We'll be fine. And nothing like Final Fantasy 15 because I don't like it. But blessed be Yoshi P. Guide us to the true way of a good Final Fantasy game. I, I care more about the Saga Frontier people, to be honest. By the powers combined, Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Put, Tom in, put, a, put Tomino on it kill everybody so so just just to mention this so probably we could talk about it after but i have i have been devoting my year to playing final fantasies that i haven't finished so far and i've done 7 13 and i'm almost done with 13 too and um some of this is good and some of this is not good. 13 <laughs> oh 2 is incredibly God. good until you get to the uh slots until you get to the slots machine, 13-2 is really good. And then after the slots machine, it's really good. But the slots machine fucking sucks. Yeah, I've just been grinding Gil. That's that's what I've been doing, is just like avoiding all of that and yeah. just going around it. Um, it's bad. So yeah, that's that's been my life lately. Uh, yeah, 3MA is produced by Zencaster in combination with Liana Hafer. We will be back next week with more strategy tactics games. And uh, you can support us on three on uh, patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, we are supported just... We are supported by listeners like you, I think is, is how I'm supposed to say it. Um, yes, that means you. I'm pointing at the camera and nobody can see it except these people. Uh, well, I'm going to go do it right now. So Okay, yes. Kendall, join us. Um, you can join our Discord. You can play multiplayer games with us sometimes. And uh, you can also just have the feeling of a job well done. Um, so for Kendall, for Mike, and for Brian, this is Rowan saying have a good night.